we need to get past this psychological block that America has placed in our minds. It says you can't learn. If you're white, you, sh you shouldn't value black history. And it does the same thing for everybody else. I think we need to individually take it upon ourselves to say, you know, I'm gonna dedicate myself to learning more about this that's other than me. And Black History Month can do this. Welcome to Among Neighbors, a podcast about race, power, and privilege. I'm Andy Conti, Director of the Center for Media Innovation at Point Park University. And as always, I'm joined by Barbara Johnson, the Vice President for Race and Gender Equity at YWCA Greater Pittsburgh. Barbara, how are you? Hey, Andy, I am great. Getting tired of this winter weather. Yeah, well, I mean, today we're talking about Black History Month and, you know, there's that the Chris Rock skit about it being the shortest, coldest and perhaps, you know, this year at least snowiest month of the year. So I never thought about that. We got, oh, we got, okay. a, we got yeah. a cut off month. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Fewer days day than the rest. <laughs> well, I, so, you know, before we get into today's guest, uh, what do you do to commemorate Black History Month? Does it mean anything special to you? Do you do anything extra? So I, I remember vividly, um, I can't, uh, when I first, one of the jobs that I had at the time that Black History Month first started to like be a thing, um, you know, I had to really fight hard to get that organization to, to even think about anything related to Black History Month. Mm -hmm. And so fast forward to today, um, and the wisdom and experience that I've had in all my years of living, I say to people, you know, as a brown person living in America, I'm black history every single day. So no, February doesn't mean that much to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. And I, I you know, that's going to be the interesting part of today's conversation. They, the other little bit of research I, I did, I found a quote from Morgan Freeman saying the same exact thing. So he, did, he didn't want a black history month because he felt like black history is American history and we should be celebrating yeah. it every day. I agree. So, and I also think um, the thing that, so, so I do appreciate February because it is also a time for people to, to be in, very intentional about lifting up those people who have been strong in black history, but whose name never gets told because of the top three that, you know, um, curriculum experts have decided to feature in every textbook in America. So, um, yeah. so aside from those three names, there's the, February is an opportunity to really think about some of the other people who definitely were trailblazers in in the work. That's the one thing I was going to say that I, I, it does allow us as Americans and particularly as, as white Americans to be intentional about saying, okay, we, we were going to set aside some time to recognize black mm -hmm. history. Um, not to say that it's not part of American history, because obviously it is, but it, to be intentional about it. So maybe there's maybe there's some value in it that way. Yeah. Um, but well, so we're going to instead of us just uh, kicking back and forth, let's let's bring in the expert today. We've got a, our, our special guest, is Samuel Black, director of the African-American program at the Senator John Hines History Center. Uh, Sam, welcome to Among Neighbors. Well, it's nice to be here. Great to have you, Sam. Thank you. So what do you think about this question we were kicking around? Is it better to have uh, a month set aside for Black history or or should we be striving to have Black history every day and, and celebrating it every day? Well, I think the important thing is to look at um, the evolution of Black History Month, uh, which will get at the answer to that. Uh, when Carter G. Woodson initiated Negro History Week in 1926, one of the reasons he did it is that he wanted to infuse more of uh, the facts of 
uh, black history um, into the education system. And um, seeing that he was somewhat powerless to do that on a national scale. Uh, he initiated Negro History Week as a way of enriching and a way of focusing just in February uh, of focusing on black history. And he encouraged schools, churches, community centers, social organizations, um, all these aspects of the black community to recognize Negro History Week and the focus on Negro history. And, um, and you know, over the years it grew into 1970s, I think it was 1972, uh, it was promoted by the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History, at that time called the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, um, to extend it from a week to a month. And so since then it's been Black History Month and um, it's always been in February. Um, and the interesting thing is that it has evolved, it has grown um, and it is celebrated all over the world. It's not just an American thing anymore. You know, there are groups in Japan and in other parts of Asia who recognize Black History Month in February. You know, so it is really taken off um, close to a hundred years now. And, um, and, but it's still, you know, focused on its meaning to uh, infuse, um, you know, what we know and understand in our um, common or popular knowledge um, about Black history, but it also has extended to the academy as well. And you're starting to see a greater impact um, of uh, Black history on the academy. I appreciate what you said, Sam, about uh, when you first started talking, you talked about facts. And I think that um, that's one of the things that I like to think about as well, whenever I'm doing some research is to really um, recognize that much of the history that we have learned that is that should be inclusive of black history. Um, we are sometimes facts are not 100% correct. And sometimes there's information missing from that picture. So, so again, I appreciate the fact that February definitely is a time for people to uh, think about how we can be intentional about making sure the whole story is told and that the facts are out there. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, Carter G. Woodson was a historian. He was a Harvard-trained historian and um, facing racism. And one of the aspects of this whole thing of Black History Month is the fact that it exists for one reason, and that is that racism exists in America. And that um, um, the history of people of African descent was not infused in the education system. Uh, and this is something Carter G. Woodson, being a teacher, uh, knew and understood this and was trying to find a solution uh, to that problem. And he also felt that for African-Americans alone, that if they knew and understood a lot more about their history, uh, then they would find their place in the world. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that and what he meant by it was that a people who don't know themselves are people who are not going to be respected, you know, in the world. And he felt that one of the issues with racism is that African-Americans were not respected. And if you knew and understood your history, um, then uh, maybe that could alleviate the racial issue that people face. 
I mean, he's a Harvard PhD, but yet he wouldn't be hired by any university in this country other than African-American university, HBCUs. He taught for a time at Howard University um, and then, um, you know, was an independent researcher uh, for most of his life and starting the Association for Study of African-American Life and History in 1915. Um, it was a way as one for, uh, for him to have an opportunity to publish his research. So he's continued to be a scholar, although um, he was sort of barred and discriminated against um, by uh, colleges and universities in this country. You know, so the fact that, you know, the history is there and all Woodson wanted to do was to present it to us. And he developed this platform uh, to allow black history to be presented to the American people. And that was presented to the world. Okay. To me, it sort of seems, this discussion seems sort of similar to the, the one that we had as a, a country after President Obama was elected and this idea that now we lived in a post-racial society and we could move on. We didn't really need to talk about race anymore. But then of course, we've seen over the last four years that that couldn't be farther from the truth. We still have so much work to do and so while on one hand, we might talk about, well, yeah, we need to celebrate black, black history every day. It seems to me like it, there's still value in saying, well, we're gonna take time to set aside this month and be intentional about talking about black, you know, the impact of black uh, people on our American history and culture and uh, just all the different ways that it's been impacted. Yeah, I think racism definitely um, is a key piece to think about because if you look at the trajectory of race in America, um, you know, while the system of slavery ended, I would say that there are so many systems that were, you know, in, integrally, integrally connected to that system that have not completely gone. They've just been, you know, they, they look differently. And so there's a lot of that oppression that still exists. And so, you know, you could also think about the history of that um, Black History Month, that if, if in fact having a Black president changed all that, then we shouldn't have to have a Black History Month still. And so, you know, the, the little nuggets and kernels of growth that we get, I think are definitely, um, uh, uh, I can't think of the word, but racism definitely has an impact on allowing that growth to be at a greater rate and, and be much more um, exponential in terms of outreach to people who need to hear and want to hear. Sam, what do you, do you do anything special for yourself or at the Heinz History Center for, obviously, I well, know you do stuff, so. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is an extremely busy time of the year for me. Um, uh, you know, because of the nature of my job and my position, the fact that I am a historian of, of the, um, uh, I like to call it Africana uh, history. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I do a lot in terms of personally and professionally. Um, the work at the History Center, we have our own um, programs, like history programs. Um, and then I'm caught up on, you know, to do some lectures uh, for organizations outside. And then as, you know, personally, you know, I have two kids, so we, we try to do things that are uh, representative of Black history. I try to infuse it in them, you know, as a cultural thing, but also as an educational thing. 
um, uh, because a lot of times their schools don't address it mm -hmm. other than maybe a, a couple of programs. And, and especially now uh, during the pandemic, uh, it's really hard for the schools to even do that. Um, so, um, you know, so I try to do things that, you know, I, I used to, when I wasn't as busy as I am now, um, dedicate to reading a book, you know, a certain book uh, during February, a book or two. Um, and, um, but I'm, I'm just loaded down with so many projects <laughs> that um, uh, it's still related to Black history. But at the same time, I just like to encourage people, you know, to enrich their own knowledge of American history um, and uh, world history uh, by looking at um, what is going on and what has happened um, in terms of people of African descent. On, the, on that point, if if you thought the the way people commemorate the month is different depending on whether they're black or if they're white, I mean, is there mm -hmm. are there different responsibilities? Do you think in the ways people should approach the holiday? Um, it's kind of hard for me to answer that. Um, I must be honest. I I haven't paid much attention to how white people celebrate Black History Month, other than those that are within an integrated uh, type of celebration. Uh, which is usually what takes place like at museums or organizations and that type of thing, um, schools, uh, that type of thing. But um, um, I would have to say, at least from what I scantly know, I don't think that there's much of a difference. I think it follows, it still follows the pattern that Carter Woodson tried to establish, uh, which was that um, time be set aside uh, to focus on some aspect of Black history. And um, and it could be, you know, programs. I think back in the 20s, a lot of the schools would do plays, uh, these pageants, um, uh, and, and talk about historic figures in, in Black history. Um, you see in, in the media, a lot of broadcast media try to uh, do programs that are representative of Black history, you know, yeah. They may show more show more movies on TV um, uh, that are focused on um, Black history. Um, you know, I've even seen Jeopardy has infused more categories uh, related to Black. And all that's good stuff, you know. And all of that is really what um, Carter G. Woodson wanted. Um, and if it happens enough, then it becomes part of the regular thing, and it grows outside of February. Um, and for me, you know, someone who, who is a um, historian of uh, African-American history, you know, uh, I guess I'm a little different because everything I do is related to Black history all year long. And um, so it's, it's not like February to something special. Mm -hmm. um, it is in a sense that, you know, the History Center, um, you know, has uh, patrons and constituents who expect that. You know, um, and um, and so we highlight um, those things that we are doing, whether it's programs or exhibits or publications um, that we we do uh, related to Black history. Yeah, when I was, um, I have two sons, and they are uh, in their late twenties. And when they were little, uh, I remember vividly that in Pittsburgh, it was very hard to find um, children's books that had pictures of black and brown children in them or that were by black and brown authors. So I was very intentional 
I, I'm pretty sure it wasn't just during the month of February, but all year round mm -hmm. um, to really seek out and do some research on those books that that I knew my kids would enjoy as children. And then the other thing that I know I did do probably during Black History Month was um, I would donate books to the kids' schools' libraries because I noticed on the bookshelves of their classrooms, there were no books of kids that looked like them as well. So that was one way that as a mother, um, I felt very intentional about making sure that, um, you know, that they were aware of that, those kind of resources mm -hmm. and the kids that went to their school as well as their own teachers. So um, that was one thing that I thought about when you mentioned, you know, books and, and having children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, uh, a few years ago, well, maybe about five or six years ago, uh, my daughter was a first grader and her first grade teacher asked uh, my wife and I about, uh, you know, whether she had her own books. And I said, yeah, she has, <laughs> she has a lot of books, <laughs> you know, children's books, and, and, and they're mostly related to um you know, they're written by Black authors and, and stories about Black children or Black history. And um, and she asked if I would share that with her. So I actually made an inventory of my daughter's book collection and shared it with her first grade teacher. But that was the first time any teacher had a actually asked me, you know, that type of question. So, um, you know, and, and, you know, being a parent, part of the struggle, being a parent and being a historian. My wife is also a historian. Um, and uh, and for both of us, um, I don't want to say we expect our children to do ex exceptionally well in history classes, but <laughs> they have no excuse. But at the same time, we expect the teachers to um, teach American history. And what I mean by that is you teach the history of everyone. And we have had situations, you know, I'm a, you know, one of my major focuses on is on um, the Civil War. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can't teach the Civil War and don't talk about Black people. <laughs> and so this is the type of thing that Carter G. Woodson was trying to address with Black History Month is that you can't talk about the Revolutionary War, the founding of this nation and not talk about Black people, and not just those who were enslaved. But you can't talk about Washington, D.C. and leave out Benjamin Banneker. Mm -hmm. You can't talk about the American Revolution and leave out Christmas Addicts. You know, as a matter of fact, you can't talk about any of the major wars from the Revolutionary War, Civil War, Civil War, I mean, uh, Vietnam War. Each one of those wars, the first American killed in those wars, was a black man. Mm. And very few people even know that or even think about it. You know, so that's when you say that black history is American history. You can't talk about the Civil War without talking about, you know, the the black people who were impacted, you know, and involved in that conflict. Can I ask you, so is it, I think this is where a lot of white people get hung up on these kinds of moments. Was it helpful to you when you're daughter's first grade teacher asked you those questions and asked you to compile the books? Or did you feel like, you know, she should have already known this and, and it was a dereliction of duty, you know, was it no, offensive no, I, in some way? I, I felt that she probably already knew it because she asked the question. She wanted help in a sense, you know, some someone who could validate whether she was on the right path or not. 
And so she wanted to know, and you know, in some of the books that, that my daughter has, um, the teacher was already familiar with them. But what she was looking for uh, was a greater bibliography mm-hmm. to be able, resources to be able to go to in order to teach her students. And, uh, and that's, you know, I think that it goes both ways in terms of education. You know, parents' involvement is not just the involvement and the concern of their own children, but it's also all the children in school. And so when a teacher says, I need some help with this, can you help me? And that's what we did was sure, we'll share what we have. Um, and, uh, and she was so grateful for it. Um, but the whole thing, is, you know, for us was that, how refreshing is that? You know, that, you know, we don't have to worry, oh, you know, what, whether our, our daughter or our son is going to um, learn about themselves and their own history, you know, through the school process. It was a lot different for myself because I started out in a segregated system. So I had Black teachers, a Black principal. You know, everyone in my elementary school was Black from the janitor to the principal and all the students. Um, and and I went to Frederick Douglass Elementary School. So, so and where where was that, Sam? This was in Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay. And um, um, you know, so so for me, it was it's a lot different than the experience my children had. You know, um, uh, I mean, there's something to say for segregation, which was a bad thing overall, mm-hmm. but being separate like that, it allowed Black people to do what they felt was most important in order for them to advance. Um, And they built things in that segregated system. Uh, So, um, you know, I really learned to appreciate Black history um, way back in the 1960s at Frederick Douglass Elementary School that never left me. And so, yes, I do feel a little bit that my children, you know, didn't get that type of enrichment that I had. Um, And so to have a teacher come and say, you know, I want to use more literature about Black children in my classroom. Can you help me? And yeah, so that was that was uh, most refreshing. I had another example, Sam, similar to that. Um, I was doing a workshop and one of the participants in the workshop was a grandmother. She was white. And she said to me that um, her grandson is mixed race. So her daughter married a black young man and they have a mixed race child. And she said to me, everyone in her family, um, her extended family treats everyone to everyone the same. This was a workshop talking about racism. And so she said to me, um, you know, do you think that I need to worry about my grandson? And I said, well, he's brown and brown in America. And so, yeah, like the fact that everyone in your family treats him, you know, one way doesn't mean that that's going to happen once he leaves the family environment. And I believe her grandson would have been around four or five at that time. So then she asked me what she could do. And I asked her, does your daughter and son, you know, have books that are, that show pictures of brown and black children in the books. And she said, no. And so she asked me if I would be willing to give her a list. And so I, you know, I still have all my kids books. So I went up to the attic and opened up the box and literally like wrote down all the titles because, you know, this was a boy. And I thought that many of the books that my sons had, he would enjoy too. So, and she was extremely grateful and thankful 
Um, so I think that, and I was, it's, it was like this year or last year. So for me, I was surprised that people still don't know. And so again, same as you, I was also, you know, honored to be able to share that with her. Um, and, you know, I think that it's going to definitely help her to at least start to think about that as she moves forward with her grandchild. Mm -hmm. You guys shouldn't be astonished that there's still so much white people don't know. So that's yeah. <laughs> still a lot of learning to be done. So, yeah. One of the things that I um, often uh, reflect upon is that um, public libraries are great resources. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe I, I, I take a little hard stance on this, but um, I find it, I find no reason that people cannot learn about other people because you have this resource at a public library. Um, you even have the internet now, so it makes it even easier um, to learn. Um, I, I'm a documentary watcher and I watch a lot of documentaries and, you know, my family laughs about it and makes fun of it and everything. But um, I find it as a, a tremendous resource because um, in a matter of seconds, you can download something and learn about an ancient civilization or whatever. So the opportunity to enrich yourself and learn more is there at our fingertips. Um, it's, just, it's just we need to get past this psychological block mm -hmm. that America has placed in our minds. It says you can't learn. If you're white, you, sh you shouldn't value Black history or Asian history or Latino history, you know, or any other history or native history. And it does the same thing for everybody else. Um, and so uh, I think we need to individually take it upon ourselves to say, and Black History Month can do this, you know, um, uh, to say that, you know, I'm going to dedicate myself to learning more about this that's other than me. And um, and I think that that goes a long way uh, into breaking down these barriers that we have, uh, which are really because we don't really fully understand each other and therefore we don't trust each other. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, those are artificial barriers and we need to get beyond those barriers. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's easy for me to say that because I work in a museum, I work at a his history center um, and so I'm exposed to this on a daily basis. And I realize that everybody isn't. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us in this country, um, I mean, we can, we can go a large chunk of our lifetime without ever having a relationship with someone who's different from us, you know? And, um, you know, to me, that's, that's, that's a sad commentary. Uh, to be in a country like this that is so rich in so many different things and still, you know, you can find racial isolation there. Um, uh, it reminds me of the story that came out, I think, last week where a school in Ogden, Utah, decided to give white parents oh, an opportunity yeah. to opt out of having their kids taught Black history. And, um, and I said, wow, that's that's... You know, here we are now in 2021, but it doesn't really matter what year it is now. But the fact that you still find that there is no academic value mm -hmm. to learn anything about people of African descent. 
and you know that's that's a very deep seated thing about race in our country. Um, when once you discover all these things, you discover that uh, America really wouldn't exist, even with the positive things that we see in our society today, uh, if black people weren't here. You know, so um, there's a lot to learn, and uh, Black History Month attempts to do that. There's a theater group uh, out of uh, Washington, D.C. I'm not sure if they're still around, but it was called Pinpoints Theater, and they did a play. It was a comical skit called 10,001 Black Inventions, and they actually did a skit where they showed, you know, just a normal uh, Black family's life. And then they did the, you know, they shut the lights off and then they came back on and they did the same skit with no black inventions involved in this family household of, you know, of just a, a, a day in the life of. And then at the end of the uh, presentation, they um, passed out books that had 10,001 black inventions, you know, mm -hmm. listed in there. Um, I learned a lot from that. One of the things that I thought was funny related to what you said, Sam, is uh, my colleague who is white, we co-facilitate workshops together. And um, oftentimes, because she is so entrenched in racial justice work, she always asks her husband who's white, she's white also, and she'll ask her husband if he knows something because she's not, she's so entrenched in the work that she doesn't realize what the everyday person doesn't know. So she just assumes, even as a white person, that all white people know this, but then she'll ask her husband and he'll be like, no, I don't know that. <laughs> yeah, and there's nothing wrong with not knowing. Right. You know, um, um, you, know it, you know, being a historian uh, of African-American history, I wish people would recognize the fact that I don't know everything about black people. Right. <laughs> we all know. So, and they expect me to be able to give them an answer in one minute or less or whatever. You know, um, uh, and um, but once you, you begin to to just you know research, you'll find that there are so many sources mm -hmm. uh, on black history or some aspect of the black experience. You had talked about inventors, and uh, here's the, I hope you can see this. I know oh, the yeah. one is backwards nice. or whatever, but it's called Black Inventors, uh, Crafting Over 200 Years of Success. And it's basically, a um, the author's name is Keith Holmes, mm -hmm. and he compiled, you know, from, for each state in America and mostly throughout the world, uh, different inventions by uh, people of African descent. And um, in different categories, you know, from from you know agriculture to you know things made of wood. Um, I mean, it's just a fascinating, fascinating book and a fascinating read. And then once you go through something like that, and you find out, wow, you know, the 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 um, uh, the little thing, what do you call it? The, you put in your windshield on the sunny days to block the sun to keep your dashboard from getting hot. That was invented by a black man. Um, you know, <laughs> part of the elevator system, brake systems on trains. You last. Uh, you know, you can go on and on and on and on. And these thousands of inventions that have have changed our lives mm -hmm. and impacted our civilization. Um, so the, and this was what Carter G. Wilson was trying to get at. This, you know, black people are not left out of this. We've contributed. Mm -hmm. It's just that 
what we have contributed hasn't been acknowledged and valued enough to teach the next generation about. And so, you know, although he started off small with a week and focused basically on black communities, it has grown internationally um, and, and it is manifested in such a way that um, uh, it has impacted everyone and you don't have to be a uh, K through 12 student, you know, anymore. You know, you can be an adult and there's all types of things that, um, you know, help celebrate and recognize and acknowledge and appreciate uh, Black people and their history. Thank you for, for talking about this. And um, I think we it's always the hardest part of the show is to, to put a pin in the conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I appreciate you, you know, your time. Uh, and I, I do feel like Barbara and I should take, you know, we could just stay here for hours and challenge you on whatever you have in your library, like try to find <laughs> stuff in your library. What other books does he have back there? Because he's, he's got an extensive library. But uh, uh, Sam Black, thanks for being part of today's show. Thank you. Yeah, and I appreciate you talking about... Um, uh, documentaries, because I love documentaries too, and I haven't um, uh, watched one in a long time, so I have to get back to that. I remember the last one that I um, enjoyed was about um, the beaches on the, I think they were mostly on the East Coast, that were predominantly beaches that Black families could go to because they couldn't go to the white beaches, and now those same beaches have been um, gentrified. <laughs> So they're not black beaches anymore. They're like where the you know rich and famous want to go. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, I, I uh, thank you for reminding me about the value of documentaries for sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. And thanks for the conversation. Yeah, great talking with you. Barbara, I would say I'm just always so grateful when we do these podcasts because it, it expands my experience and my knowledge and and today i think for me the the real takeaway was the you know what sam said about that the psychological block that so many americans have against learning something about somebody who's different than themselves and you know it's easy as a white person to say well black history month that's not for me and uh you know i hope people who listen to this uh, you know of all colors and races and ethnicities will uh, will walk away and say that no this is you know, it's a part of our American experience and it's part of all of our history and we should take some time to, you know, some deliberate time to, to focus on it this month. So, Yeah. And also think about in a city like Pittsburgh where um, we have a black population, we have a growing um, African population, a growing Latino population, growing Asian population, that there's a lot of intersections in those histories as well. So um, I know Sam mentioned that as well. So I think good things for us to think about and all of us can definitely um, think about how we can learn more. Yeah, well, thanks to both of you. Uh, today's show was produced by Eddie Robas here at the Center for Media Innovation and Among Neighbors is available wherever you listen to podcasts and it's also available at centerformediainnovation.org. Thanks everyone. Thanks everyone.